What is up, freaks? It's your boy Marty here to introduce Rip 347. I sat down with this man right here. Jan Kapic. Chapik. Chapik. God damn it. <laughs> Thank God he was here. Thank God he was here to uh, correct me. Jan Chapik. Very good. Co-founder of Brains. We talked a lot about a lot. You think it's worth listening to? I think so. All right. Go listen to it, freaks. Okay. This rip was brought to you by our good friends at Unchained Capital, right down the hall from me here in the Austin Bitcoin Commons and the Bitcoin Austins and Bitcoin Austins, Bitcoin Commons in Austin, Texas. It's early. It's not early anymore. It's like almost 11 here. So I should be awake. Unchained Capital is awake. Awake and securing, helping you secure your, your Bitcoin by helping you eliminate single points of failure. As we've seen over the last many months, there is certainly single points of failure risk out there, especially if you're giving your Bitcoin uh, to centralized custodians who are then lending it out on the back end to people who are taking crazy risks that end up losing your Bitcoin. Uh, Unchained is here to help you mitigate that risk, to help you mitigate these central points of failure. They do this by leveraging Bitcoin's native multi-sig properties. Uh, nothing exemplifies this more than their Vault product, which is a two or three multi-sig, where you hold two keys, Unchained holds one. As long as you have your two keys, you're going to be able to move your Bitcoin as you see fit. If you're ever in a pinch, Unchained is there to be the second in the two or three multi-sig. If you're a high net worth individual, if you're a business, if you're... Uh, a humble sat stacker with a considerable stack. Uh, I would consider, highly consider, engaging with Unchained Capital. Uh, you have single points of failure at the centralized custodian level. And then also, if you're just holding your Bitcoin on a single SIG wallet, uh, that's a single point of failure as well. If you lose that wallet and the backup, your SOL, uh, the two or three multi-SIG vault that Unchained offers helps you mitigate that single point of failure. You distribute that risk out. Uh, if you want to figure out how to get onboarded onto the Unchained Vault, they have a very high class white glove service where they'll take you from zero to understanding multi-sig to understanding the vault to interacting with the vault and putting sats in it eventually. Go to www.unchained.com slash concierge to connect with their concierge team to get onboarded onto a vault. Tell them the TFTC sent you. Uh, this rip was also brought to you by our good friends at Brains. Breaking news. Not breaking anymore. It happened yesterday, but uh, Brains is a team behind Slush Pool, which is the oldest mining pool in Bitcoin's history. Uh, They're rebranding Slush Pool from Slush Pool to Brains Pool. Okay. They're bringing the whole Brains brand and all their products under the Brains name. They have what will soon to be Brains Pool which is uh, a mining pool if you're, you're hashing and you're looking for a, a pool that has exemplary service, exemplary reputation, consider pointing your hash at Brains Pool. I'm like mentally beginning to remind myself not to say Slush Pool. It's going to be, hey, Slush is an incredible brand. It'll be remembered uh, throughout the annals of, of Bitcoin history forever. Turning the page, new chapter, Brains Pool. You also have Brains OS Plus firmware. If you have an ASIC that is compatible with Brains OS Plus firmware and you're not using it, you are an idiot. You're leaving sats on the table. Only idiots leave sats on the table. Don't be an idiot. Idiot-proof yourself. Download Brains OS Plus firmware. Go to brains.com, B-R-A-I-I-N-S.com. 
check out their BOS Plus page, find out if your ASIC is compatible. And if it is, highly recommend you download it. If you have Brains OS Plus firmware and you point your hash at the soon-to-be Brains pool, you're going to get 0% pool fees. If you want to learn more about the benefits of that firmware, I recorded an episode with Edward Evenson a couple weeks ago in which he described it at length. I'm also going to be sitting down with the co-founder of Brains tonight, uh, Jan Kapic, uh, and that episode will be out immediately after this one. Um, so be on the lookout for that. Brains.com, B-R-A-I-I-N-S.com. This group is also brought to you by our good friends at Hoddle Hoddle. Hoddle Hoddle is here to bring you a lending platform that leverages Bitcoin's native multi-sig properties as well. What you do is you put your Bitcoin up in a two or three multi-sig escrow. You hold one key. Excuse me, I burped. Sorry for burping. Your counterparty in the loan holds uh, a second key and Hoddle Hoddle holds a third key. Try not to burp again. Sorry. Um, <laughs> in this model, you put your Bitcoin up as collateral. You get stable coins in return that you can go spend. Uh, and as long as you're paying a loan back, you're going to get your sats back at the end of the day. And you know that your sats are safe because you hold one key in that two or three quorum and you have visibility into the escrow account throughout the duration of your loan. Hoddle Hoddle, uh, excuse me, the lending pr- platform is important to mention. is also no KYC, no AML. It's peer-to-peer. So if you're looking to get a loan in a uh, privacy-preserving way, this is the way to go. Uh, lend.hoddlehoddle.com is where you should go to check out that product. They're also throwing the Baltic Honey Badger Conference in Riga, Latvia in the beginning of September. So a little bit over a month here. I'm going to be there. It's going to be a great time. I went in 2018. It was an incredible conference. I can't wait to get back. They've had to, uh, uh, they've had to green light it or not green light it. What am I looking for? Moonlight it. That's the word I'm looking for for a couple of years, obviously because of COVID. It's back this year. Go to BalticHoneyBadger.com. Uh, to get your tickets there. This rip was also brought to you by our good friends at Upstream Data. All right? They're going to take control of all your mining needs, whether you're an at-home miner, a utility that's looking to leverage excess uh, electricity on your site, on your property, or an oil and gas company that's looking to leverage wasted gas resources upstream, at the midstream, wherever it may be. If you have stranded gas, uh, you're looking to monetize, which I do with their hash huts. They're there for you. With the black boxes, which are for at-home miners, uh, they can hold two miners and they're building a bigger design as well that can hold more miners. What this does is help eliminate the sound. It goes from... You put it in the box and that sound goes from... To... The box also helps with heat dissipation so that uh, your miners aren't going to crap out and you're not going to set your house on fire. Um, it's a beautiful product. Use the code FREAKS if you buy a black box. You're going to get 5% off. Uh, they're also going to help you acquire ASICs if you're looking um, to put ASICs in that and you don't have them already. Upstream has you covered there. And again, uh, there are other products. I'm a customer of the Hash Hut. I have a 50 kilowatt Hash Hut. And it has been hashing beautifully for months on end. No downtime outside of oil changes. They purpose-built their generators for Bitcoin mining. And it's a beautiful product. I'm a very happy customer. Go to upstreamdata.ca. Tell them the TFTC sent you if you're looking to acquire some hash shuts, some generators, and mine Bitcoin and some ASICs as well. Upstreamdata.ca. Tell them that TFTC sent you. Last but not least, this rip was brought to you by our good friends at CrowdHealth. CrowdHealth is here to help you approach healthcare in a new way. What you do is uh, you get signed up on a, a monthly 
subscription fee, uh, and you pay that month in and month out. That goes to a dedicated bank account that, that you control at any time. You can take the money from that account and take it back into another account that you control. Uh, on top of that, they're adding a Bitcoin component to it. They have a Bitcoin community. Uh, if you go to CrowdHealth, join CrowdHealth.com slash TFTC, uh, you'll, you can learn all about how they're implementing Bitcoin. Essentially, what you'll do is you'll pay your monthly fee. Uh, and a portion of that will go to Bitcoin so that you can have your dollars and your Bitcoin escrowed uh, in segregated accounts and you can build up your your health care bank account uh, in Bitcoin and dollars. And then if you ever have a health event, the way it works is you go, uh, you get your bill from the doctor. Uh, CrowdHealth is going to help you, number one, negotiate that bill lower. Uh, and then number two, uh, you send that out to your community and you help crowdsource your, your health care cost. Uh, you put up the first $500 and then the community takes care of the rest. They've had 100% uh, b- of their bills paid. Uh, and I, I think it's an incredible service, an incredible model to approach healthcare, considering the opaque nature of health insurance. And especially as we're heading into an economic downturn, if you're looking to lower your healthcare costs, I think uh, crowd health is a great way to do that. You go to joincrowdhealth.com slash BTC, or excuse me, TFTC to check out everything they have going on. They have a link to uh, my episode with Andy Scrunover, the CEO of CrowdHealth that we recorded a few months ago. Highly recommend you check it out. I'm a CrowdHealth user. That's how I'm um, uh, paying for healthcare for my family. Uh, and it's important to mention, if you use the code TFTC at checkout, uh, the first uh, thousand members of the Bitcoin community are going to get $100, or excuse me, $99 a month for the first six months. That's a good discount. Go check it out and enjoy this rip. You've had a dynamic where money's become freer than free. If you talk about a Fed just gone nuts, all, all the central banks going nuts. So it's all acting like safe haven. I believe that in a world where central bankers are tripping over themselves to devalue their currency, Bitcoin wins. In the world of fiat currencies, Bitcoin is the victor. I mean, that's part of the bull case for Bitcoin. If you're not paying attention, you probably should be. Yeah, and it's been, gosh, it's been what, three years? I think three years. Since you and Pavel were in uh, the yeah. studio in Brooklyn? Yeah. Yeah. I remember that. I mean, I've seen you since then, but how have you been for the freaks out there? <laughs> well, it's been a very intensive few years. We did a lot of stuff on the OS side. I mean, and it, it feels like yesterday. I mean, this is not three years. Yeah. To me, it's like a week. A week were- of development is gone and <laughs> <laughs> we have a few more products. <laughs> we were... Uh- yeah, the three of us, we were talking about Stratum B2 back then, before it was even Stratum B2, or no, it was iterating on what Mac Rallo had before Stratum B2. That was the, the beginning of the discussion hash, of right? the better hash versus mm-hmm. Stratum V2. And then we actually invited uh, Matt to help us with certain aspects of the protocol. Um yeah, so those were the times when we were like incepting the whole concept of the V2. Maybe uh, that's a good place to start. I was going to start with when, what's minor, but we'll get to that later. What okay. is the uh, the status of Stratum V2? I mean, you guys have it implemented in BOS Plus. Okay, so we've been uh, actively uh, using it uh, with, with Brains OS Plus, so it's available. And we have the service endpoint running on our pool. 
Um, what is good is that there is actually a group of uh, independent uh, developers uh, sponsored by uh, Spiler, I think. Um, and they basically wanted to take over the open source initiative so that we, we have like um, an independent implementation uh, aside of the one that we, uh, we have originally published, uh, which I find uh, very positive because, I mean, our original implementation was a proof of concept. And uh, considering the experience that we made with, with all the security aspects of the protocol that we have introduced, um, not too many people know, but we, we have basically used uh, noise protocol framework. Uh, this is essentially what's behind the scenes uh, when you use Signal or even WhatsApp. So it's the modern way how you how you do crypto cryptography. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so I'm happy. It's actually happening that we have uh, more open source developers out there that are not associated directly just with us uh, and are willing to work on uh, on the protocol. Uh, they do have reference implementation now, and now I think there's going to be a new website for Stratum V2. Uh, started, we actually gave them uh, the domain for, uh, for that. Um, so we'll see how they, how they perceive all that stuff. Wow, that was big of you to get, just give away a domain like that. Well, we keep the domain, but we will host the content. Okay. That was, <laughs> that's <laughs> so, the plan. So startupprotocol.org would, would contain the, the open, the, the full open source initiative. So for any freaks who didn't listen to our first episode in our hearing our conversation now three years later what are the benefits of stratum v2 as it's currently implemented implemented in uh brains os plus how's uh how's it uh, working? okay so, so it's running over a secure layer so essentially all the all the communication is encrypted and the integrity of the communication is checked so if anybody intercepts the communication the protocol is essentially going to fall apart it's going to detect it uh, then it has uh, efficiency improvements in terms of we have switched the protocol from from a textual, very verbose form uh, that the original Stratum V1 was using. It was JSON format. Uh, so we switch it over to binary and the, the payloads are just the pure data, no you know verbose chatting of the protocol. Um, in terms of the efficiency, the protocol is ready also to improve the the empty block issue, let's say, that some people like to talk about um, in a way that essentially uh, the server is able to propose you uh, like an alternative block candidate and uh, you as a miner can actually start mining on, on this alternative candidate when a new block is found in the network as long as the pool essentially confirms it, that this is the valid template that you can still use. Because um, when uh, a new block is found, it takes seconds and seconds to generate a new template to collect a new set of transactions. So essentially this could eliminate some of, some of these uh, aspects and let's say reduce the number of empty blocks. But I don't, I don't really think that the empty blocks are really, really an issue, but let's just... Uh, uh, try to make things as efficient as possible. Uh, last but least, um, 
on the server side, the protocol is more favorable also towards the, the, the server load. So essentially you can either handle more, more connections or you can allow miners to submit their, their results more often. So that means reduced variance in their rewards. That's pretty much it. Yeah. I mean, we can speak about transaction selection if you want. Um, one of the concepts in the protocol is that uh, we have proposed that uh, miners can actually um, prepare their, their own uh, block template. And if it's approved by the pool, they can actually mine on it in the meantime. Um, so it's like a, a security feature where um, if we are facing uh, some censorship problems, like transaction censoring, um, miners could actually fight this problem by choosing their own transactions. However, it's important to say the B to this story, and that is if you potentially have a pool that would be doing transaction filtering and censorship, uh, chances are they such a pool will not be willing to participate in the transaction selection protocol on the miner side. So, so they won't broadcast that block. They, they they will not basically provide that as a service because it's like an alternative part of the of the mining service mm -hmm. where you have an alternative channel where you negotiated okay I have generated this block template I'm already mining on it but please can you check that this this template is in line with what you think is the right template because um, you know the pool typically collects the reward from the from from each block that is mined and that means. Uh, it at least has to verify that the block template that you propose is not mining into your own pocket, but it's mining to to the to the pool wallet, uh, and then the, the rewards are eventually uh, evenly distributed among the miners, which is the purpose of the pool to reduce the variance and have uh, you know the rewards spread throughout the time hmm. evenly. Is that a relatively easy process? It's just a quick check and make sure that they're not sending. It's, it's like one of the checks. I mean, you could probably look for, I mean, technically, uh, there could be other flaws in the block template that could make it invalid, right? What are some of those? What if you mess up the end time in the block template? So mm -hmm. it's almost valid, but if you try to submit such block, if it's not, if the end time is shifted by more than two hours, it could be a bug and not an intentional so then essentially such a miner is essentially doing block withholding, even though it's not intentional. So there's like more checks. So it has to be valid, um, not just in terms of not mining into your own pocket, but also other features. End time transactions yes. have yeah, to be valid, yeah, obviously. Right, right, right. Yeah. Everything. Yeah. So it's not just that. And when do you think this gets... I mean, obviously you mentioned the Spiral team's got a bunch of open source developers. Does there still need to be... Uh, that uh, merge in a core uh, in terms of... Um, correct. Um, there is actually um, an aspect of, of the protocol that we need to have in the Bitcoin core, and that's related to the um, like block template uh, negotiation. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's requires uh, changes uh, or extensions to the core. And uh, as far as I know, they do have a merge request or pull request ready for Bitcoin Core. And the way they want to do it is they have a, 
they have written it in Rust, and they want to link it together with uh, with the C++ code base. Rust is hot right now. Oh yeah, it is. Why is everybody going to Rust? Why? Um, I think we we come we have come to a point uh, where like the former C programmers are like looking around for a language for their future projects. And the C programmers were typically from the operating system environment or they have been hacking some embedded systems, like low-level stuff, uh, with all the problems that come with a, with a language like C where you can make like different null pointer problems, memory leaks, and, and stuff like that. Um, so it's generally not a memory-safe language. And Rust essentially provides a memory-safe environment where you can still have buggy programs that would be like leaking memory, but you can you are the compiler takes care of like a whole bunch of like undefined behavior issues that you could introduce in a C-based uh, program with Rust. The compiler just takes care of it. So essentially, the outcome of the code is uh, safer and typically works out of the box. So. To me or to us as the company, Rust is the language that we use for all our existing projects. What's actually even neat about the language is that it goes from like low-level embedded systems, like the firmware on the miners, and scales up to the servers. And you can share the same code base. So for example, for Brains OS, uh, the, the protocol implementation for Stratum V2, it exists only in one uh, implementation. And we use it on the server side as well as in the firmware. So the testability, you know, integration and everything is much it's more simple. Significantly better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, I, no, I like seeing this, this transition towards Rust. Uh, we had the guys building Fediment earlier today and they were describing they're building that project in Rust and saying it's just like much more modular um, and efficient in a, in a powerful language. I would, I would say the, the language itself is a very nice environment to work in. But what um, the Mozilla Foundation put into this is uh, a tremendous effort and like experience of all the developers from the past ages. Like the typical problem of any C developer is the build system. Like you can write code, but like when you find somebody else's code, like how are you gonna integrate it? It's not impossible, it is easy, but you have to have your own build system or you have to somehow be compatible with their build system. It's just, you know, it's like the, the, the variety of uh, how people build C-based projects is so big that it just makes it a little bit more difficult to integrate third-party code. But with Rust, uh, the language comes with a, with a nice build system and a packaging system. So you can even run and have a program that is using like two different versions of the same library and it's perfectly doable and like it's like a huge ecosystem so when you when you find somebody else's code that's published on crates io and you like it you just say okay i want to use it and it just, just comes works. in and people who for example work with java they're used to this because they have these maven build systems and all these kind of things but in in uh, like compiled languages like c or c++ this is uh, this has no precedence. Even in C++, uh, there's no like single standard how you would uh, build your applications and how you publish your, 
your library code that would be compatible with somebody else's. I mean, I mean, they always can take just the source code and use it, but that's very uh, you know time consuming. If especially if the code base that you're trying to use from a third party is complex, then like implementing your own way how you're gonna build it is a waste of time. Because you have to go and build right, all these. right, 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 and you have to like write scripts in in, in Make or whatever uh, build system you're going to use. But it's just not a unified environment, so you're 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 going to waste time. And when that third party code updates, that means you still have to update your the way you build the code. Yeah, it doesn't so, seem very efficient yeah, or scalable. Yeah. And time. I mean, this all is sorted out with with Rust. So that's another aspect for me personally as a developer that I find very attractive. Uh, to use that language. Yeah, and there's people working on a core implementation of Rust too, right? Uh, oh yeah, I mean, there are, uh, the Rust Bitcoin um, initiative is pretty big. So essentially, if you wanted to, you can technically build a Bitcoin node just from Rust components. They, I'm sure they already exist. The problem is that, from what I heard, it's, and I haven't been following the the development for for probably like past two years, but it's not still recommended because the reference implementation is the C plus plus one. So you may end up having what do we call a Bitcoin node, but it may have certain behaviors that could be different from from the C plus plus implementation. Is there so if, is there a future in which the Rust implementation implementation becomes a reference implementation or uh i'm not sure about this no. but we can have matt to, to explain this <laughs> <laughs> matt can you tell us matt please please if you're listening out there i know you're listening sir yeah but it's it's, it's fascinating it's seeing all this development going on and since the last time we spoke i want to talk a lot about what you guys are building and, and brains as a holistic company um you, you've got the firmware brains os plus firmware You've got uh, which implemented Shrine V2, which we just talked about. Obviously, you've got the pool, which is being uh, renamed to Brains Pool come September. We can talk about that as well. You've got the farm management system that you built uh, for people running mining farms. Um, uh, you, you've got the the dashboard at insights.brains.com. And uh, disclaimer: Brains is a sponsor of the podcast. And uh, <laughs> Uh, you just came out with a, a Beetlebone update for anybody running guess 19. It seems like you guys are very busy in many different parts of, of the mining arena. Well, uh, probably like three years ago, we were thinking like what would be the overall concept of where we're headed with the company. We were thinking, okay, we're stuck with the pool, but we should think about the whole mining industry like what do they need and if you're able to come up with a, like a full software stack with like a full set of mining tools and when you look at like what the existing mining firmware for example on the machines provides it hasn't changed in the past i don't know five six years it's still the same it's it's a firmware with a cg miner with an api but how does it scale how can you think about your farm as a cluster of machines, like what is the support in the stock firmware for for running these machines and like managing them, monitoring them? There's like nothing, right? Most farms actually are forced to um, develop their own solutions. And there are third-party solutions for management and monitoring, but it's still 
a little bit twisted because there's no direct support in the firmware. So we decided, okay, let's let's change this in the firmware. And we started adding like standard features in BrainsOS uh, firmware so that when you take standard monitoring tools, um, you can actually get the metrics from, from, from the firmware running. Um, so an outcome of it is, for example, the dashboard for, for the farm monitoring, which is an, an example use case where we show how it can look like, but the, the, way, the technology that's behind that can be customized by any mining farm that has uh, smart developers or if, sorry, that sounds, that's, doesn't sound correct. Uh, that, that has people who can admit. Jan is like, an elitist. <laughs> I really meant that um, if you want to look for developers or DevOps engineers that know standard toolings, it's much easier than if you look for like generic people and tell them, oh, you have to now write some code to grab metrics from, from stock firmware that just doesn't do it in, in, in any standard way. So we try to go and show that there, there should be some kind of standardization, not like enforcing it, but showing that the product can actually have standard interfaces that everybody who is used to write um, used to writing uh, like applications that are deployed in cloud, for example, these applications are monitored in a standard way. Like most of them have Prometheus uh, endpoints to to grab the metrics and all these kind of things. So we decided we want to go down this path. And how's the reception from from your customers been with this? Uh, we just uh, we just announced it. Uh, where was it uh, on Bitcoin in twenty twenty two? And like the. the people were really interested. And essentially I had a talk with a few customers and like you would feel the synergy like, oh, finally somebody is doing something in a standard way so that we can like approach the, the problem from, from both ends. Like the farm wants to do the monitoring, but they don't want to develop everything. They want to use standard tools and we want them to, we want them to have a, a standard interface of the mining firmware. And so that's what we are trying to do. Like we can provide even the tooling in the form of a dashboard, but it's an example, like what it can look like, but you can have completely different dashboard if you don't like this one, but you don't have to like develop it from scratch because you, you have standard tools that you can build off. Yeah. Of. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And you don't, it, this doesn't only work with brains OS plus compatible ASICs, right? You can use it for, uh, we actually, uh, now have a, a tool that would, allow also the stock firmware to be included. Yes. So that would be something we would be showing in Mining Disrupt. Hell yeah, which is this a weekend. Days. Yeah. Uh, a little break here to ask how you're doing. You traveled all across the world. You're here in Austin. You're going to Miami. How are you feeling? Uh, right now, a bit jet lagged. <laughs> <laughs> you got in here like, what, um, like 8 p.m. last night or something? I like had that. a... I had a very adventurous uh, transfer at JFK. I had like one hour to get through the uh, immigration customs. customs and get on another plane. So when I got on the plane, like the ladies were just giving me water <laughs> and paper towels because I was sick. <laughs> I felt like like people when, when they saw me like, oh, you've been running. <laughs> I've been sweating for like an hour. <laughs> 
JFK is and, one, of the, one of the most treacherous airports but, in and, the world. But the ridiculous part was that once I got on the plane, the plane would be literally sitting at the airport for another hour and a half because no. they couldn't close the door. They couldn't close no. the door? So, yeah, so I, actually there was no rush. <laughs> <laughs> it's not very confidence inducing. Hey, we're about to take off. Just give us a, an hour and a half to close the door. Well, they, they closed the door in like 20 minutes, but then, you know, they, they lost the slot where they could take uh, off. And it was like 20 airplanes before us. Yeah. So we lost like hour and a half. And I think I had probably like extra hour because of this. I would still be able to get on the plane. Maybe. I don't know. Hey, you got a workout in. Okay. You're tra- a traveling workout's hard to come by. So you got yeah. in. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, let's talk about slush pool. And the, there's a lot of people who are a bit perturbed online saying, hey, why, why are you guys moving away from slush pool? It's so historic. It's so iconic. Transition to brains pool. But uh, this, is a, this is a move that you guys sort of have to do, right? Right. Uh, let's not call it a transition. Um, Rebrand. The, 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 it's, it's, uh, it's a combination of a few things. Basically, uh, a few years ago, when we bought the share and the last remaining share of, in the pool from from Slush himself, one of the conditions was that eventually after two years, we have to give back the Slush Pool brand, not in terms of like it's going to be used somewhere else, but like we can't use it commercially. But at the same time, nobody is going to wipe out any history. So uh, all the history of the pool is going to be present uh, in our website. Uh, the original website is going to redirect to the new one. The mining URLs are going to stay the same. We're going to add new URLs with with the brains pool uh, in the name uh, and we can use them indefinitely because we, we actually own the, the slash pool domain and that's uh, so we're going to keep the domain we just don't we're not allowed to use it uh, for web presentation essentially but the whole story about the slash pool and the history how we started developing the pool and so on is still going to be there so everybody can read up on that uh, so from user perspective, nothing really changes except for that the name. title. So if you guys saw the animation, that's really what it is. Christian's been pumping the animation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're going to put it in the newsletter soon. <laughs> yeah, and it's, uh, I mean, yeah, what do you have to say about like uh, the... It's a part of the history that's, uh, we're, we're, we're closing, let's say, a certain... Yeah. Um, a chapter. Chapter and starting a new one. Um, I would say that Christian, he did a, a tremendous amount of work in building the Brains brand. And I think at this stage, uh, I'm confident that it's not going to cause any, any significant harm or no. it shouldn't be any, any issue in general. No, I think Brains is one of the iconic brands in the industry right now. Um, blue chip, if you will. What do you, what do you think of my ad reads where I go, Brains, is that... It's, I got, I'm trying to get the stick in people's heads. <laughs> I think um, it's working. Actually, I think it may uh, be working. Like any, anytime I hear that, I, I, I remember uh, when the uh, first time I heard, I heard you saying this was in New York, in Brooklyn, uh, in 2019. So, <laughs> <laughs> Trying to make it yeah. stick. People, people wake up and they just hear brains. They're like, all right, I got to go check my mining, my mining operation. And then you guys are coming out with a suite of books. I'm proud. I'm honored. We have uh, the first Bitcoin mining handbook here. Uh, I was asked to write the foreword. And like you said, you said, thank you. I said, I'm going to return the things because I was extremely 
flattered and honored to to write the foreword to this book. So you guys are getting out there on the education side. This is only the first book. You guys are writing many. We more, actually right? do have a, a whole marketing branch of the company called Brains Publishing, and we we do translations to the Czech language because there's not too many books uh, being published in our native language. So we want to you know uh, a little bit raise the awareness of Bitcoin and and the whole problems in the financial world. Uh, we have translated Bitcoin Standard and other books. And I think this is the uh, this is actually the first English book that Dan and the company wrote. Yeah. And it's a uh, it's a good one. I mean, yeah, I like it. I like it a lot. And it's thanks a- for the forward. Again. Hey, <laughs> thank you for asking me to write it. I'm again, I'm honored. Uh, good memes in this book too. You guys are looking for good mining memes. They're they're in here. Uh, you mentioned raising awareness of Bitcoin in uh, Czech Republic. What what is the Bitcoin scene outside of Brains like uh, within within the country? Um, overall, I would say we're still facing these um, like banking issues, like general like banks. I don't know what the situation in the U.S. is, but banks in in the Czech Republic are like super super paranoid about any transaction related to this. Uh, and like, there's no way you can like explain, oh, you ha- I have a legit business and like this is no money laundering or anything. So they typically tend to close accounts to companies and individuals who uh, are anyhow associated with Bitcoin. I specifically don't say crypto, but they, they, they label it as crypto. Like crypto is something that they don't want to understand or they maybe they're scared of. So this is a big issue, and that's one of the reasons, like why why we run the publishing because we want to explain that there is a space uh, <laughs> in the world for 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 this whole movement, and there's a good reason, uh, and that all the economic or economical changes that we're seeing, inflation, uh, are not just a random thing; they're a result of of uh, what the central banks are do, have been doing for the past couple of years or tens of years. And we want people to realize that something is not uh, the way it should be. Uh, but at the same time, if, if we kind of keep this narrative, it doesn't uh, improve our situation because then it could scare the banks as well. Yeah. So, but we will keep doing it. But you'd think like the government of the Czech Republic, you you guys go to them and be like, hey, we're one of the the blue chip companies in this space in your country. Like, like, come on. We're not, we're not quite there yet, I would say. Jan, (laughs) you're, you're a humble man. You're there. Uh, Okay. Well, uh, we'll work on that. Um, I would say the attitude of the government uh, towards uh, Bitcoin or generally uh, is not negative. So there is <clears throat> at least a situation back home is that I see a big contradiction between like government generally uh, accepts um, any business activities related to Bitcoin or general crypto, let's say. Uh, but the biggest issue is still the banking. The banking, yeah. Which I find ridiculous. Is that EU related or Czech specific? Oh, I think uh, these issues are generally all over the Europe, but but uh, as long as you have a legit business, you typically have uh, no issue opening a bank account 
uh, and using it for uh, transacting with your exchange or whatever uh, outside of, of the Czech Republic. But within the Czech Republic, it's it's getting harder and harder and harder. Yeah, interesting. Well, the situation here. Uh, Can I go to Wells Fargo and open an account? No, probably not. Okay. Um, there's very few banks. I mean, we got Silvergate and Signature. Um, we were in Nashville last week for the Nash Bitcoiners meetup, and there's a private bank in Nashville cool. that's beginning to open up accounts. Uh, for our mining business, we, we had to go to a community bank, and they were cool with opening an account for us. But when it comes to like the, the major banks like J.P. Morgan, Bank of America, Wells Fargo, well, then I, I still think they're shying away from it as well. Okay. And the official reasoning that they give? Uh, it's Bitcoin. We don't want to know anything yeah, about it. Yeah. We're scared. Yeah. Okay. I'm pretty sure. We don't want to touch it. I mean, we had a Bank of America account for the media brand, but we weren't, we weren't really dealing it with, we don't deal with Bitcoin transactions, like giving Bitcoin their life. They, like they call it Bitcoin transaction, but the only thing that hits the bank is the cash, right? <laughs> yeah. The fiat. This is what I never understood. Like they would say, oh, this is a crypto transaction. I was like, where's that crypto transaction? You just received some paper money. Your paper funny monopoly money. <laughs> where's the crypto? It's that was handled somewhere else. Okay. It's yeah. I mean, we live in a clown world, Jan. This is, I know. Don't, don't expect these people to, to. No, it's not rational at all. But it just uh, and the problem is that you can't defend yourself at all because uh, it's uh, the compliance that makes the decision, and they will not tell you who the compliance is. And uh, if you if you can uh, talk to the compliance department and explain or like defend yourself, say, oh, these are my invoices, and this is the. Bitcoin that I received, it, that's fine, right? Yeah, you can amend this. You can look at the ledger. We can <laughs> no, no, no. It's, it's, uh, yeah. No, we no. tried. It doesn't work. Well, the, oh, now we're getting into like the overarching theme of just overburdensome regulations globally, particularly in the EU and the US. I mean, that that administrative state, that compliance layer of everything that people building businesses have to deal with is completely insane, and it's just a lag on the on the economy overall. Yeah, um, and it's getting worse. I mean, I mean, the level of bureaucracy is getting worse and worse and worse. Yeah, um, we're we're just gonna meme them to death, though. We're just gonna make fun of these people and <laughs> get into a circular economy. That's interesting too. Like, do you, like does slush pool have any aspects of his business that are fully like Bitcoin circular economy that help you um, when <sighs> these banks are shooing you away? Well, what, what I have seen so far, and we actually do use it when we acquire like testing hardware. We never pay it in cash. We pay it in Bitcoin all the time. Because I mean, transferring USD to China is close to impossible. And because we need the testing hardware for development. Um, and the amounts would be quite significant uh, at the time. Um, we just had to resort to this. So this is what I would call circular economy, right? Yeah, no, totally. We gained Bitcoin, we bought we bought the, the machines for Bitcoin because we need we needed the development. Uh some people uh in our company are paid uh partially in BTC if they decide to. Um so yeah. Yeah, contributing to the circular economy. Thank you, brains. Uh but we have to do it because otherwise um there's no way to eliminate the the problematic components from the system. Everybody knows what the problematic components are. Um, yeah, I mean, 
That's it. I mean, why do I have to have some other party deciding if I can make a transaction or not? You shouldn't. We should live in a free world. It's 2022, freaks. It's time to destroy the clown world and, and stoke the circular economy. Uh, speaking of the economy, let's talk about like mining economics right now. Uh, obviously, we're in a bit of a bear market in terms of Bitcoin price, and there's a lot of chaos in the Bitcoin mining markets. You have a lot of publicly traded companies over here in the U.S., Canada, uh, and in Europe as well that are uh, having to dump a lot of Bitcoin and dump a lot of ASICs. We've had hash price hit a multi-year low at $0.08 cents last week. It's hovering around $0.11, cents, I believe, right now. We've had three consecutive downward difficulty adjustments. Four of the last five adjustments have been downward adjustments. Uh, price per terahash for top-of-line machines is ranging between $25 and $35 a terahash. Uh, it's pretty chaotic right, right now. What, what's your... Uh, what's your view of the mining market specifically in this particular cycle? <laughs> uh, I would say it's, it's again a proof that the incentives, how they've been uh, set up or outlined in the white paper work. So you're not worried about a mining death spiral? I'm not, I'm not worried really. <laughs> Either am I. I mean, you would have at some point, I mean, in the last cycle, when, when we hit the 3000, right? Three thousand USD per Bitcoin. That was the time when the miners started capitulating, and we probably will have some miners capitulating even now. But that still means other miners are going to get more Bitcoin. That compensates for for the uh, loss in the exchange rate. So, I mean, I'm not worried about this. No, it's it's. Uh, I mean, every time you would say, "Oh, is it going to work this time as well?" But I mean, if not. It's better to know now than in 10 years. It because works. We would, yeah. It works. If it fails, it should fail now, right? Yeah. Because I don't want to waste my next 10 years with this. 10 years? We need you for like at least 30. <laughs> <laughs> so so 30. But yeah, so so the sooner uh, Bitcoin fails, the better because we can do something else. But I, I, I'm kind of in doubts that it would fail because it still didn't succeed in failing. It died how many times? Uh, hundreds right? of times yeah, now at this point. It's still... In a death spiral, in a way. <laughs> <laughs> but do you think there's any particular lessons we're learning with in this bear market compared to cycles of, of years past? I would say uh, people are less greedy. So even though they're stacking BTC, they would do better financial planning mm. to get ready for for the, for the waves. That actually brings up a good point too, like hash rate futures and uh, hedging products for miners. What uh? What are you seeing there? Oh, hmm. I think this is an area that I would like to have Pavel here because he can talk about this for hours. Yeah, uh, I'm not an expert in this area. I definitely think that uh, something should uh, come to the market and something should be available. You guys announced something related to this. We actually have been talking about this, mm -hmm. uh, but it's not uh, in any state of... Material, yeah. Material, yeah. Yeah. I would say, yeah. What do you, uh, side thoughts on this? I, I know you mentioned. One, one thought on this though, um, what I think should, at least that's my vision. If, if this ever happens, that would be pretty cool. And that would be the futures for not the mining hardware, but for the chips. Mm, why do you say that? If, well, if you think about the chips. Do they not already exist with futures orders? But with the, with the full hardware. Okay. 
But I was thinking ah, at the, the chip level. Okay. Because if you're at the chip level, then you can have multiple vendors. Like mm. now you, you can make a future, but you still have uh, the three companies or two companies that produce the hardware. But if we eventually get to the point where uh, the chips it themselves are commoditized, and I may be wrong, maybe this would never happen because there's a big incentive not to sell like raw chips. Because the added value that the where you make the most money is the full device, right? And the markup on that. Yes, yes. You, you can have ex- significantly better markup. But let's imagine this happened. Uh, it would be pretty cool because the chips are very similar to how you grow crops, right? You you just can't make a chip uh, in one day. It, it takes time. Mm. It's growing. The silicon is growing. The different layers, and you just can't speed it up. The process. Yeah. So it's very similar. So you have an estimate where, where, when the chip is going to be ready. But if there is, for example, a seismic activity, so like, like a micro earthquakes in, in Asia, where some of the foundries are, this affects the process because we're at such small dimensions where we're like any seismic activity. Is, is it an English word seismic? Seismic, yeah. Seismic, yeah, yeah sorry. Yeah. Um, so when the earth moves, it influences the manufacturing process. And sometimes it screws up the chip, mm-hmm. the, the, the wafers. Really? So they have to redo it really? or, or they have to stop the manufacturing. So it's sort of like weather that has impact on, on growing crops. Mm-hmm. Uh, here, it's not weather, but like geo- geological, geological yeah. processes have, have effect on, 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 on manufacturing sometimes. I I'm not saying that. always, but I, that's, that's what I heard. Like, they they have to account for this. That's insane. I didn't know yeah. that. And then then they, they redo the the layers and it's fine. That's why like I guess like when a seismic earthquake happens, I guess they're laser etching this and maybe like throws the laser off a little bit and fucks up the whole chip. The wafer, yeah. 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 It's wow. <laughs> Earthquakes affecting a uh, wafer delivery. And we have COVID. You don't have uh, people, you know, working, working. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. another aspect. So, yeah, futures in this area would be very interesting. Yeah. And because it's the same thing. We don't have futures for bread, right? We have futures for, for the crops. Yeah. For the wheat. Wow. But maybe I'm too visionary or <laughs> it's, it's never, no, never going to happen. But you got my mind been, running we, right we, now. We've been thinking about this uh, many years ago, but uh, it, has never been materialized. Well, maybe just the market needs to get to a more mature state, which is another interesting route to go down. Like we have foundries being spun up here in the United States, one in Arizona, one here in Texas, not too far from where we're sitting right now. We just learned that MicroBT is going to be working with Samsung and their three nanometer chips. Uh, It seems like that foundry market maybe get more robust in the next five, 10 years. Well, definitely there is demand for any kind of silicon even outside of Bitcoin mining. So I'm sure there's a strong incentive for more uh, foundries to be built. Yeah. And uh, like, what is the process of a foundry being built? I I, want to really stress to the freaks listening to this, how capital and energy and time intensive it is. I would even say if you, if you even have just the capital, you will not be able, like, let's say you have the capital to, to build the foundry. Billions of dollars. Yes. Uh, I don't think you would be able to build it because nobody would sell you the technology. Why? Oh, let's dive into this. Why is that? Yeah, I think this is this is one of the problems as Trade well. Trade secrets too. Yeah, yeah, too valuable. So, so I don't think we will have eventually that we would have like more companies 
uh, owning the foundries. It would just be Not the same in, companies that more founders. Yeah. So they would just scale up. Yeah. Because foundries are like very controlled environments, right? Like when you're, when you're building them, you need like crazy like air control. When people are working in the foundries, they're wearing insane suits. Like they're very delicate processes. They uh, even measure the number of dust particles in the air. Number. Like in this room, like you have probably like millions, right? Or even more. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Are they, they're speaking about like single particles. Like, because like, <laughs> Could one single particle could mess up a wafer? Probably or? not. <laughs> um, yeah, I think it, it, it does not. No. And so what's your view on the state of the competition between Bitmain, MicroBT, Canon, all these players in the market? Uh, it seems like uh, has the dust settled so after the Jihan McCree breakup? Uh is MicroBT gaining any market share, any, uh, any quality share? Well, it looks like it's that MicroBT is rising slowly. You think so? But overall, majority of the machines are still uh, made by Bitmain. Yeah. What is definitely visible is that all the manufacturers are really... Um, out of components and like the supply chain problems. So you would see it on Bitmain, like producing hardware with one type of control boards and then, then another part type of control boards. Um, so basically they, they're taking like anything off the shelf that's available and just assembling onto the PCBs. Yeah, this is what we were talking about before we hit right. before with the, the Beagle won't support and when what's minor. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you're the one who brought it up. When what's minor, sir? <laughs> what's going on there? I mean, I believe that I talked to Ed and you guys are focused on the, the newer generation. What's miners? Is that correct? Yeah. Um, we have upgraded the, the task and now it's, uh, it should cover the new gen together with the, with the original M20s. As yeah. Well. What's, uh, the I know image, this is a tough subject. No, 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 I know it's a tough no, no, no. subject. I want to say something. The, it's not, <laughs> it's not well known, but the, the what's minor image is actually available for uh, for downloads uh, for the M20s, but the installation procedure is a mess. That's that's the problem. What what's uh, what's a mess with it? Uh, the problem is that you have to be at a certain version of the stock firmware, and then you're able to to install it. So somebody would have to download like yes, an older they, version. Yes, they would have to downgrade it. Uh, and if you have a bigger farm, that means you are running with an SD card around the machines. It's just a logistical it nightmare. Yeah, it's a logistical nightmare. Yeah. So we have to come up with some uh, something smarter. When are when are these guys just going to be like, all right, we think that you guys can create better firmware. We're going to let you do it. I mean, what I would envision uh, is that we should. Oh, okay. To answer the question, I don't know. Mm -hmm. uh, let's try to push them somehow. I don't know how, uh, though. What I if I was a manufacturer, the way I would do it is that I would sort of take the same approach. Uh, did you ever uh, jailbreak an Android phone? Yes, I have actually. Okay, so so the way it's done on some of the some of the cell phones is that it's actually locked and you can't put an alternative firmware on it. But if you decide to unlock it, you explicitly agree with the manufacturer that the warranty is void 
and they let you do it. And then the bootloader on the, on the cell phone accepts an alternative firmware. But now the manufacturer can tell, okay, this cell phone has been unlocked in order to run an alternative firmware. So that means the warranty is now void, which gives at least an alternative for the owner of the device to, let's say, when your warranty expires. And I don't know what the warranty in the US is. In, in, in Europe, it's like two years, typically. I don't know if it's one year here, whatever. When it expires, it doesn't matter, right? So you can do whatever you want. And some people want to even take the risk during the warranty period because they are confident that the device is in a good shape. Mm -hmm. So that's an approach that I think would be um, generally acceptable within the industry. Yeah. And I would take it as a good practice. And what are the, uh, the ASIC warranties like right now? Three years? I year? I think it's like two three years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, I haven't seen like one year. Yeah, it's like I'm trying to think because the reasoning behind why they wouldn't do this is well, the official reasoning is that they want to protect the customer. Mm -hmm. So you're but you're protected by this. But the, I don't want to be protected. Well, I want to take the risk. That's true, but the problem is that they don't listen to this request. Yeah. I understand it, but No, I'm trying I'm trying to champion for you right now. <laughs> no. I mean it is the firmware that you guys produce is incredible. Again, in terms of like the efficiencies, uh, what it does for fan speed, sound, management, like it's it makes our biggest nightmare is really the installation. So if there's anybody out there who can change this policy, it would be really cool. Anybody, anybody from MicroBT or Bitman, if you're listening, and you think that could be a competitive edge for one of them too, like the first one to allow this could potentially gain a bigger market share because people would want that feature. The problem is, um, sure, I mean, that's what I was thinking as well. But at the same time, if you think about maybe maybe now the bear market is a good is a good situation. But a few months ago, um, the manufacturers don't have to compete with each other, right? Because basically anything that you manufacture is sold right away. Yeah. It's even pre-sold before it's manufactured. So why would you make your life more complicated? Like why would you implement some features that will? Oh. Amber Alert. If anybody, uh, if anybody uh, sees an 11-year-old black female, Monty Stevens, she was last wearing glasses, a black and gray shirt, black stri striped red letters, multicolored sweatpants and Crocs. She's last seen in a newer model gray pickup truck. Please call 911. We get these Amber Alerts. I got one in the morning. You did? That scared me because I don't know what it was. You get you get them as soon as you get yes. here? Yeah, yeah. There was my cell phone going off as well. Oh, that was? Yeah. Huh. So I got one in the morning. Imani, I hope you're you're okay out there. That was a poor taste. I'm sorry, freaks. But um yeah, the uh back to the firmware. Yeah. It would be incredible if they could So uh, there's no incentive for that. No. Still. Now maybe in this situation when there's when the demand goes down but i still doubt because i think people they learn from their previous cycle and there's going to be still groups of people who will try to stack 
hardware in this situation for the terahash price that is very favorable right now. Yeah, do you think that's a viable strategy, like buying a $25 a terahash and not even plugging them in, just waiting for them to go back up to 50 I mean, because it was crazy. It was only a year and a half ago when people were predicting like $200 a terahash price. And now it's like one eighth. So <clears throat> I would not dare to make uh, a judgment in this. Because I'm not an economist. I can't. This, is some, <laughs> this is something that you would need to model, right? Like model. Mo I hate models. Mo I hate models. Model different center because they never work. They never work. No, models never work. Well, that's, that's and this is specifically specific to the mining industry where you get like a bunch of spreadsheets of like, oh, here's the model of my mining operation. Here's all profits. Never turns out to be the case. Um, but shouldn't shouldn't be the case that you actually want once you have the model. And if you see it doesn't work, you should adjust the model no, so no. that the next time you... It just doesn't work in a different way. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> models, throw the models out. You just have you just have like very wide sort of parameters or like this could happen, this could happen. The modeling, the models, the models. It's always the models. Throw the models out, freaks. Um, so in that case, um, with every cycle... Uh, you get to a point where basically anything that can mine that you can plug in becomes profitable. Is it? But you would see it with every cycle, right? Even in the previous cycle that, let's say, maybe ended. Uh, the S9s. Speaking of S9s, 2016 or 17 when they were released. Five, 16, yeah. So six-year-old machine was still on the edge of profitability, which is. Dramatic. Thanks to your firmware. Thanks to the firmware. Yeah, the S9 firmware works really well. But I would also say it's thanks to the hardware because the S9 was were an exceptional piece of hardware. Yeah, people no. people refer to them as the AK47 of the mining world. Yeah, that's how good. That's how <laughs> I they, never heard it, but that's a, that's a good. <laughs> you never heard that one? No, no, no. Oh yeah, I love I love saying that. That's <laughs> and that's what who designed the S9. The gentleman who's uh, the founder of, of MicroBT. Right, that's correct. That's why I, I love the Watts Miner machines. They are extremely durable beast in the field. Um, they're actually the only machines I've ever personally run because I just, at Great America Mining, we were running M20s in the oil field and they were just tanks. Okay, so we're going to, we're, we're, we'll try and make you happy with the firmware then. Yeah, it's not me. I mean, I would be happy. Is I get I'm I'm starting. People people DM me when what's mine. I'm like, hey, it's coming. Patience, freaks. It's a virtue. <laughs> uh, that's the uh, yeah. There was a point. I mean, who knows how accurate it was? But there was some nonce data analysis in like around sixty thousand. When Bitcoin was at sixty thousand, that was saying that like S sevens were even running. That's quite impressive, but I can imagine that in certain electrical conditions, that's probably BS. Still doable, yeah. As long as the space for you is not more valuable for running other machines. Other machines, yeah. That's a. <laughs> there's a very nuanced science to running a mining operation right like the, the decision making going like do i run s9s do i run top of the line hardware 
there's a lot of factors that go into those decisions. Rack space, something you just mentioned. Uh, electricity price, obviously. Um, whether or not you have firmware available. There's a bunch of variables to take into consideration if you're out there. Correct. Yeah. And uh, what was I just going to say? I was going to say something. Um, you started with the S7s. The S7s. What's miners? M20s. I don't know where, where I was going to go. I completely lost my train of thought. But um, going back to what you guys are, are building at Brains, like uh, what are you most excited for moving forward? Hmm. I think to, to me, the, the biggest and most interesting era is automation and like generally the farm support. So uh, when we move from a single machine firmware, and we already we are almost there with, with the monitoring and everything, but when we move to a point where you think of the farm really as of a cluster and the firmware has like like first class support for, for something like this. So including the configurations, including monitoring and, uh, and all that kind of stuff. So that's what I'm personally most excited about. Yeah. And you, uh, so essentially you, when you, when you, when you, when you, when you will build, when you build uh, a mining farm, you would call brains and brains would send you a brains box and the brains box would just take care of everything. Yeah. And Edwards was on a couple of weeks ago and he was telling me you guys are like getting really involved, like actually like flying to operations and helping them plug everything in. And like yeah, we have, we have something called, we call a white glove service. Essentially, uh, we fly over to, to customer sites uh, that, is, that are cert above certain size um, and just help them with, with the installation procedures and like setups and everything. What are like the most common questions and problems that that these bigger farms have? Uh, typically, um, when we're speaking about Texas uh, in these days, in these hot days, uh, it's the dynamic power scaling or performance scaling. Yes, not all the users are really aware of this feature. So they were like, oh, so what do I do with the firmware when it uh, overheats? And it would like sit for, for a couple hours until the machine cools down and then it would start over again. Uh, but if you actually have the DPS configured, uh, it can like step down to a different performance profile. The only drawback is that it is very convenient to already have all these performance profiles pre-tuned so that any step down doesn't mean like it would start the, the tuning cycle. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, a big, interesting variable with the mining industry. Well, a big part of it migrating down here to Texas is the heat and how to do with that. I mean, you yeah. see. Yeah. So this is one of the things that we typically are asked about, yeah. like what to do. And we're, so we're actually working on like making uh, users aware of this, that this feature is really there for this specific case. Yeah. Underclock when it hits 105 yeah. degrees and just yeah. 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 make sure you don't burn out your chips. And then you see it on the manufacturer side too. Like you have Bitmain and MicroBT coming out with these water-cooled units. Um, I think they're trying to front run this big migration to these these hotter areas to make sure that um, they're not selling machines to, to customers that then get burnt out. Right. That's probably the only way. Yeah. And especially the hydro is very interesting uh, also for, for this era in terms of the dust, right? 
Why do you say that? Because when you when you have immersion, you are still fighting the dust problem, right? Mm-hmm. Dust is getting into the oil. When you have air, then you know the fans are not very happy with the dust going through that. Uh, with water cooling, that's a slightly different situation. Mitigated. Yeah. Okay. In a way. What are your thoughts on water cooling versus immersion? Um, interesting question. Um, like overall, the the hydro or water setup seems uh, quite attractive. But one drawback that I would see is that uh, you're really indirectly cooling just the chips. But how about the PCB? How about the PSU and so on? Mm-hmm. So it could have different like lifetime characteristics. Interesting. For the particular components, like uh, right, especially like capacitors. Capacitors mm-hmm. are typically the components on a on on any electronic device. If it fails, uh, okay. Sometimes you have some semiconductors failing, like transistors. But typically, where you are experiencing the most severe aging are the capacitors. And if you do overclocking, and the the machine is not not running in a very favorable temperature conditions. It's the capacitors that are wearing out, basically. And when they fail, the whole device is gone. Like you, and you can't replace them. Well, you can, but I mean, it's costly, right? I mean, you can replace them, but... Uh, it's, it takes time. It and... takes time, uh, downtime, you know, and all these kind of things. So um, when when you have the full hashboard immersed in oil, it the, the cooling has different properties because you're actively taking heat away from components that you normally don't don't cool mm-hmm. and if you have uh, air cooling you still have air blowing over these components as well whereas with the hydro you're just taking the heat away from 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 the chips that are touching the the the, the heat sink that is that has the water loop in it uh, but the other passive components like specifically the capacitors are not getting any special treatment so so, so the up. question is what is going to be the lifetime of, of these machines. But I mean, again, what is very attractive on the hydro at the same time is that the setup seems much cleaner, much cleaner. Yeah. Yeah. Because with immersion too, like you have to have these huge and cheaper, let's say you don't have thousands of USD and you know, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands sometimes, yeah. especially if you like have like a, an oversized, like heats water, like water right. cooler and heat sink. Yeah. Like, and, and then, Another interesting variable of like immersion too is like if you have to repair a machine, you take it out, it changes the level of the immersion uh, of the liquid in the in the tank, right. which has externalities in and of itself. Yeah, you can unload half of the machines from a tank because then your level would be low for, for yeah. the remaining machines. Yeah, you'd have to like take, take one out and put, put like a 30 put pound back, brick yeah. or like could you put like a 30 pound brick in there? Or Yeah, I mean, it's just about the volume. Yeah, volume. Not- so you could have like plugs basically yeah that's yeah. uh, there's so many that's what fascinates me about the mining space because there's so many engineering problems from the the firmware level in the, in the digital world and then in the physical world with uh, all the physics that goes yeah the into, physics is very interesting right and you guys are experimenting with this 
Uh, like, so you, you mentioned that you're buying machines to experiment. We're, yeah, we're, we're uh, buying machines to experiment with them. We built our own small immersion systems to tweak the firmware for those conditions. Um, yeah. yeah, it is needed because otherwise without this, you, you can't easily develop the firmware. Yeah. And then with immersion particularly, like uh, as soon as you get to a certain scale, things get wonky. That's yeah. That then it becomes different sport. In, in what way, in your opinion? Um, well, it's like when you're running a single air cooled machine, and when you're running one thousand of these machines, then you have a completely different type of problems, right? Mm -hmm. uh, you have to play with the hot ale and a, and a cold ale and all these kind of things with air cooling, and when the with the with the with the immersion you have to deal with, with the water, like with the heat exchangers where you take the heat out of the oil and just uh, yeah. distribute it somewhere else. So you, you build a whole new infrastructure that you never had before in the farm. So when you do it on a small scale, you can just have a, a small prototype. Yeah. What are, uh, what are your thoughts on like machine efficiency these days? We're hitting, what's the lowest? Uh, 29, 28, 25. But aren't they, isn't, Bitmain marketing 20. like 21 and a half or? Right, but uh, we have ordered the XP machine, but we still don't have it. So I, I'm waiting. Wait, ooh, delays? Or it's just not your time to get it delivered yeah. yet? We're still waiting in the queue probably. <laughs> <laughs> how, how efficient do you think these can get? I mean, especially as we move to like three nanometer. Are you excited about like the micro BT deal with Samsung? With three, um, I mean, chances are we could hit below twenty at some point. Do you think? But about the problem is uh, again, um, considering the whole PCB design, you have also losses somewhere else except for the chips themselves. So you have some fixed component that, let's say, all the hash boards are designed the same way, the optimal way. You would still have some fixed component where you're, where you're losing some some energy so when you when you look at the efficiency of an individual chip that's one number but the average efficiency the when you when you the aggregate the average efficiency of a chip when it's actually populated on a pcb is slightly uh, lower so the number is higher uh, because you have losses all over the place not just on the chips yeah other chips don't have really like a loss they're converting the computing power into heat yeah do you think we ever reach like ASIC commodification? Well, that's what we already mentioned. I yeah, wish you we, want to get I, there. I wish we, we got there, but who knows? Um, Make a bold statement. One, Are we going one, to get there? Yes. Okay. I like that. You know why? <laughs> uh, it's getting like more and more expensive. Like if, if you want to run the project, like building the chips and everything, it's because we're not at 50 nanometers. We're, People are talking about three. Yeah. You can't so, go much lower than three. Right. Can you go below zero? <laughs> <laughs> like like hole or something yeah. in the chip? <laughs> uh, yeah. And then, uh, I mean, we mentioned like this trend towards Texas and a lot of the talk down here is big energy companies getting in. And that's uh, been a theme on this show in a while. Like historically up to this point, mining industry has been dominated by, I, many would deem as Bitcoiners, uh, just 
believing in Bitcoin and spinning up these large mining farms because they recognize the opportunity to profit from it. And now we're reaching a point, particularly here in the US and other parts of the world, I believe Oman partnered with Crusoe uh, here in the United States, and they're going to be spinning up some mining operations uh, on their energy assets. It seems like the energy producers are getting into the game and uh, I think there's just like a broad question out there, like who becomes who? Or are energy companies going to become the largest miners or the largest miners going to become energy companies? A mixture of both. Uh, do you have any thoughts on that trend? Um, I'm seeing a very similar pattern also in Europe. Like a lot of companies are interested in, in the great programs. Mm-hmm. And... There is actually I didn't know until until a few months ago that uh, Czech Republic didn't have a spot market for electricity. What really? It's now operating, but it's just what was it before? Ago. I don't know. It it was run uh, like through external trading, like outside of the country. I don't know. What is so, what is the Czech Republic's main energy sources? Uh, we have nuclear. Good. Quite a bit. Uh, we have some coal, a um, little bit of wind, a little bit of solar, a little bit of hydro, but the majority are the first two. Nuclear and coal. Good. Yeah. That's what you want. You guys have reliable base load. Yeah. It's a problem here. Oh, with these solar peaks? Yeah. I mean, here in Texas, they're building a shit ton of wind and solar, which is unreliable. And we're having like grid grid problems here. Well, it's actually an opportunity, right? In a way for... For nuclear power plants to come in and say, hey, just build nuclear power plants. (laughs) (laughs) I I meant it could be an opportunity for the miners to participate in in the trading. Yeah, and it's happening. But again, you can build out all this wind and solar capacity, but if the wind doesn't blow and the sun doesn't shine, like why would you want to be a miner using that as your energy source? Um, As a miner, definitely not. Yeah. Uh, as a miner, only under the condition that you're part of the whole infrastructure and of the mix. You, yeah, 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 of the mix. Yeah. Because um, I'm assuming even here, um, the original uh, way how to get rid of the electricity was just to burn it, like just waste it. Just, it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Produce it and just not, not, uh, not consume it at any endpoint. So, and the problem is that the economic, economical equation, when you think, okay, let's, uh, instead of burning the energy, I'm going to build a device that consists of miners. Um, if it was sitting just there, um, the reward for, for doing that has to be higher than the, uh, you know, the capex yeah. that you had to put out. So they probably buy like older gem machines throw them in there. That's one way of doing it, probably. It's going to turn off. That's another thing. Demand response is a big thing here, like you're just mentioning. And uh, Brains OS can help with that too, right? With the, the, the turn off and turn back on speeds. Yeah, we have we have the pulse resume features, so it can ramp, ramp down, ramp, ramp up yeah. very quickly through an API. So, yeah. And especially even the old S9s were really good for like ramping up and down. Like you, the machine itself could even boot from cold state in in a couple of seconds. Yeah, like got, eleven seconds. You you if you if you 
plug in an S9, I think within like 11 seconds, the machine was running like full speed, which is not the case with the latest generation for some physical reasons, but it was quite uh, amazing to see that the machine was capable of doing that. Yeah, just using an API. All right, go back yeah, on yeah. 10 seconds, hashing, pointing, adding to the mining pool. Uh, why are they later gen machines? How long are they taking? Um, ramp up and ramp down. Uh, when they're already mining, that's you're still within that range, mm-hmm. like uh, 10, 15 seconds. But what I was trying to explain was if you have a machine that's like completely turned off, an S9 can boot up within 11 seconds and get to full power consumption within like 11, 20 seconds. Uh, whereas with the X19s, it's not the case because uh, the firmware has to wait for, for the PSU to stabilize and things like that. So, so when the machine is powered off, like completely like powered down, uh, that takes a long time to, to bring up the machine. Is that like a material effect on a mining operation? Uh, well, for that, for that use case, that's why you should use the API and just uh, like suspend the machine and resume its operation. And that, then that's a different story because the PSU is still active. Yeah. It's not consuming the power, but you don't have to. It's just the PSU. waiting idle yeah. to be like, all right, turn the fans, turn the yeah. chips yeah. back on. God, it's so much, it's so fascinating. You're. Do you ever feel like, damn, I'm working on like the most cutting edge shit in the world? Except for the space programs, yes. Yeah, that's for me. Um, I always said like. As an IT guy or as a developer, I would either want to write firmware for rockets or for Bitcoin mining or work in Bitcoin, like using the skills. Uh, I don't see any other area that I would feel like putting my potential or my productive years into. Yeah. Yeah. It is cool seeing those SpaceX Falcon uh, missiles like land back on the ground oh, after yeah. they go in the world. What a- so that's, uh, that's amazing software engineering. You know, like how hard is it to, to make something like that happen? It's probably much harder than the mining firm. <laughs> well, for sure. Yeah. But that just goes to the fact that uh, the mining itself is a simple operation, right? It's like rolling a dice. Mm-hmm. Hash cash out 256. Yeah. There's so many. Well, that, then that's the beauty of like the, the free market capitalism, the incentive system too. It's like eking out all these efficiencies anywhere you can. Right. Yeah. And you can uh I think the uh it when you when you look back uh, uh at the white paper you would think like, oh why did they I'm saying they, but I mean Satoshi, but generally like why why did they choose um such a weird algorithm that is so easily uh reproducible in an ASIC? But if you think about it uh, it's actually good because the ASIC itself, speaking of the chip, uh, it's a very simple piece of hardware that uh, you can easily design. It's not so easy to manufacture uh, at the cutting edge technology. But if you took any other more complex algorithm, then you would actually have less players in the game because you would, you would have scaled companies optimizing the thing, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, essentially, if you say, okay, I want Bitcoin to be using GPU mining algorithms or something that would be 
requiring a complex system as a GPU plus some uh, graphics memory, gigabytes of memories, then you would start with a general purpose system where you take a GPU uh, in a regular PC and so on. But eventually you would have players that would be able to optimize this. So they would have like hybrid GPUs with uh, a, a special dedicated embedded system that would be much more involved than a simple ASIC chip. So how many players do you think you would have eventually? Like now, nowadays, I think it's more a matter of having the experience and having the capital of doing it and having the access to the foundries. So having the foundries available. But if the system was uh, built on top of the GPU part, I think the situation would be much harder. Yeah. I mean, keep it keep it simple, stupid. The fact that these ASICs and the Hashcash SHA-256 is relatively dumb is a good thing for the market overall. I would say so. Yeah. it's. I think it reduces the risk uh, of uh, a single party basically taking over mm-hmm. eventually. Well, speaking of that, it brings up an interesting point. Like outside of MicroBT and Bitmain, do you, do you see any formidable competitors entering the game? Well, we have seen an announcement from Intel. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a, that's a valid competitor. Have you gotten your and hands on those yet? No, we did not yet. No. Uh, but looking at the numbers, if they are true, then and I, I would assume they would not publish anything that doesn't compute. Uh, it doesn't compete or that does not exist, right? Yeah. Um, so looking at the numbers, I think that's quite competitive. So and that's a big player. Yeah. That's- and. Maybe in the bear market, the, the incentive is a little uh, lower, but for the companies who do realize that we still all assume that this is another cycle, it's actually convenient to enter this adventure in the bear market. Why do you Because, you, because you have the time to, uh, to, to build out. Yeah. Yeah. Bear, building happens in the bear markets, right? That's what we hear a lot. Well, because you can buy cheap hardware, right? Yeah. Well, that's the other thing too, like supply chains just outside of Bitcoin specifically are very constrained globally. We'll see what happens. I think this is the most annoying part. That that I think this is uh, uh, the factor that has changed like mm-hmm. from the previous cycle. So you cannot really uh, assume that the new cycle is going to be exactly the same like the previous one because before we, we were not speaking about supply chain issues. Well, the money was being printed at that time in quite good quantities, and this is the result. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, or or do you, you don't agree? No, I completely agree. You can't, you can't turn an economy off, print a bunch of money, and just flip a switch, turn it back on, expect everything to go back to normal. Right. It's a central clown world. The central planner is just messing up everything for the rest of us. I agree. Yeah. They messed up. Uh, I was... Actually, wasn't going to be able to attend because of the birth of my second child, but I was really looking forward Congrats. to the idea of thank you of uh, the Brains Conference in Prague. Um, the that was quite unfortunate, but they basically changed the rules in the last <laughs> minute, and then they changed them again anyway. So we could have technically have yeah the the, the conference. But then the unfortunate things in Ukraine happened, and we were getting feedback from a lot of people who were like scared of coming over and the number was kind of like dwindling going up so we were like okay maybe not 
we were, we were going to be doing a live rabbit hole recap on a boat in Prague at some point in the future. That was the plan before, uh, before all this madness happened. I'm looking forward to that. I am as well. I've never <laughs> been to the Czech Republic. Hear, oh, you have to. I hear you guys have good beer. Oh, yeah, we do. Good Czech I, Pilsner sounds good. I definitely recommend that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, the way Ed talks about it, he, he, he's fallen in love with Prague. <laughs> yeah, that's why he doesn't want to come over here that often. <laughs> <laughs> Can you, uh, we actually uh, have something very important to talk about, and it is the need um, for the Brains team to stock the fridge uh, solely with cheese. Why is that? Because Ed hates cheese. I know, I know, yeah. I know, but... You need to sort of force him into a situation where he has to eat something he hates. Hmm. <laughs> okay, we'll think about it. Okay, good. Hope he's not listening. Hey, he better be listening. <laughs> <laughs> what, uh, so outside of mining and just Bitcoin more generally, uh, is there anything that's exciting you in terms of Bitcoin adoption, uh, developments at the technical level? Uh, wider awareness of, of Bitcoin, the protocol? Uh, I'm super excited about the next steps that are going to happen with Stratum V2. Mm -hmm. I just want to see the critical mass of developers, which is happening right now. Um, so what's going to happen with that? I'm happy we can be sort of like outside, just observing and helping, but not like really... Uh, actively pushing because I mean the the protocol should be uh, basically a consensus of consensus of multiple parties. Um, so that's one thing. I am excited about uh, the three nanometers mm. uh, when they are happening with our ASICs. Um, also, I want to see in five years or a few years maybe what the market is going to look like in terms of which players are going to succeed in terms of manufacturing the hardware. And if we're going to see any significant form factor changes, like now we're seeing that uh, the hydro cooling is showing up, but is it the technology for the future? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. We'll see. Uh, so like, all my thoughts are really quite related to to the mining part that should be expected this is that was a trick question i was going to make sure that you pulled it back to mining because you better be focused on it okay yeah i am <laughs> but i mean okay outside of mining uh lightning is lightning. the thing for me do you think are you guys thinking about implementing it at the pool level or in anything that you guys do not at this stage no. but um i mean I don't know what the situation here in the U.S. is, but I've been to a Bitcoin Pizza Day in Prague. Mm -hmm. um, they have adopted Lightning, and they made it very comfortable for the visitors of, of the Pizza Day. So it was like a, a party, basically, all day, some workshops and stuff. They made it very comfortable for the visitors, and everybody was participating in that. Yeah. So, they, so, so you would basically come to a bar, and the bar would be written off your open channel that you opened when you deposited some fiat paper funny money into a cash machine yeah. while you were entering the venue. So um, the, the user experience, as I would call it, was like, I, 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 you, did, you wouldn't even know that you're using Lightning. And that's, that's where, where it should be. Like you, yeah. wouldn't, you shouldn't think about it. It should just work. Yeah. 
And when we send this podcast out via our RSS feed, people are going to be streaming a sats over lightning as they listen. Cool. Yeah. It's happening. It's already happening. It's here. We're on the cutting edge. Yeah. So we just have to sort out a few banking issues and, uh, or actually just sort out the banks and just, just, just push the banks out of the way, (laughs) get the circular economy. Do you see any, uh, increased, um, excitement about Bitcoin in Europe among individuals? Um, typically when the exchange rate goes up, uh, I'm getting phone calls from people that I didn't hear about for a couple of years and it happens with every cycle. Uh, when it goes down, then I hear the phone calls like, oh, shall I sell now? <laughs> uh, but I, I have to say that uh, it's getting better. So that means that the education level is, is much better. The previous cycle, when it hit the 20K and then went eventually to 3K, that was, I think, the worst cycle in terms of this. Like everybody wanted to buy at 20 and they pretty much all of them sold. <laughs> at three. At three. <laughs> Uh, not at three, at 10 or something like that. Um, so with a loss. Uh, but with this cycle, uh, I can see that people do understand that the price movement can happen and they are aware of uh, what they're doing with, with the investment. Yeah. So I am not getting that many phone calls like if they should sell. I'm getting phone calls if they should buy actually okay. on these levels. Or if it's going to go lower, which I don't have a good answer. The the yawn indicator is bullish right now, freaks. <laughs> <laughs> we've got we've, we've created many indicators this week. The yawn indicator is one of my favorite. Okay. Um, you should you should tweet out when you're getting these these texts. Should I buy? <laughs> okay, I will. <laughs> uh, well, it's always fascinating. I'm very happy that we were able to sit back down and do this again. It's been too long since you've been on the podcast. Uh, it's always a pleasure speaking with you again. I, I truly in mo- person yes. uh, doing it remotely is, uh, is not the same. No, it's not the same. Right. You can't have these giggle fits with each other. Yeah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so in three years time? No, we're not going to take that long. Okay. Are you going to Riga? Uh, most probably. Okay. I'm going to ask my wife. I, I got permission. Okay. So I'll see you there if you go, if you get permission. Okay. Yeah. But we're okay. going to go drink some beers in Austin, Texas. Is there anything uh, that you haven't said that you think the freaks should know about what you're working on? Um, I guess we covered everything. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you for doing what you do. Again, you're humble. But uh, you're on the cutting edge. A blue chip company in the space. You're helping spread Bitcoin make mining operations more efficient and adding value to the space. So I want to thank you and your team for everything you do. And again, disclaimer sponsor of the podcast for supporting us as well. Anytime. And thank you for having me here. Yeah. Let's go have some fun. Oh, let's have some beers. Peace and love freaks.